Well, thank you, Trey, and uh, good to see you today and to trust that uh, all is going well with you uh, during this wonderful summer, and uh, unfortunately, it's about close to coming to an end. In fact, I, I think I'd like to read this passage to you before I start. It will be a little later today, but that's cool if you got to get up and Leave a little early, I will not take offense at it, okay? John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. And would you please stand as I read this passage of Scripture? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is God's word. Amen and amen. Please be seated. You know, as uh, Trey mentioned just a few minutes ago, this is uh, the most famous verse of the Bible, and uh, it's a surprising context in which this verse is actually placed. We learn, uh, as mentioned, that Jesus is both a Savior as well as a judge. And words like judgment and evil have been airbrushed out of the language of a number of churches today. And yet here they stand, right next to each other. And admittedly, the doctrine of salvation and what it's about and what's involved in it and the doctrine of judgment are very mysterious. You know, when God looks through the narrow lens, he sees evil and he hates it. He has a holy reaction against it and judges it. But when God looks through the broad lens, we see that he included evil in his overall plan. When God looks through the narrow lens, uh, he wants everyone to be saved. He weeps over the sheep that is lost, and he goes out and looks for it. But when God looks through the broad lens, we see that some are not found. You see, all of us try and struggle, we, tr- we struggle a little bit with just the ways of God. But I want to lay down a foundation here. There's one thing in which we can all agree, and that would be our salvation that we enjoy is purely because of the grace and the mercy of God. And it's greater than we could possibly imagine. Now, a couple of principles that I'm going to hang my thoughts on today, they're in your bulletin outline if you want to follow along a little bit. One is positive, and it has to do with salvation. 
The other is negative, and it has to do with judgment. Now, on the positive side, salvation is for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, is that going to come up, the next verse on, is it going to come up? Great. I want us to read this in, union, in unison. Would you do that with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So the purpose of Christ's coming uh, in the form of a man was to live under the law, to perfectly keep the demands of the law, and then as that innocent lamb in whom was found no sin, he can go to the cross and atone for your sin and for my sin. Just a couple of observations. First of all, salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And this is the main reason why Christianity is so distasteful today here in America. After all, our national motto is e pluribus, e pluribus unum, of the many, one. And deeply rooted in the culture here in America is just this principle of pluralism. Now, pluralism means that there are many philosophies, many ideologies, many beliefs to which people cling to and a variety of, from a variety of backgrounds. Uh, we all live together in this classic melting pot that we know as America. Now, pluralism says that no one view of reality has exclusive claim with respect to the truth. And so when Christianity comes along and says there's only one way to God, and that way to God is through Jesus of Nazareth, well, this is quite offensive to many people in our land. Now, closely related to the doctrine of pluralism is the idea of toleration. Uh, the principle of toleration uh, on which our country was founded is that all religious beliefs are to receive equal treatment under the law, and we thank God for that. Uh, we praise God for that. However, there's a huge difference between the concept of equal toleration under the law and the concept of equal validity in terms of the truth. All viewpoints have a right to exist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all viewpoints are true. And when Christians come along and contend that there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus of Nazareth, what they're saying is that Christianity is the only valid religion. The other religions have a right to exist in terms of the law, but from a divine perspective, they represent a distortion of the truth. And it's this exclusive aim of Christianity to claim that the, the, this exclusive claim that the, of the truthfulness of Christianity is distasteful in the pluralistic culture in which we live. But this is not something that we concocted. It's really the message of the Bible. 
And if we follow the Bible, we have to proclaim its message so that it's through Christ, not works, not morality, not benevolence, not anything else that one is saved. Now, the reason salvation only comes through Christ is because he's the only one that actually paid the price for our sin. Buddha, Confucius, Allah, they didn't atone for your sin. Only Christ did, and that's why Christianity is so exclusive. The Father who sent the Son uh, is offended if we insist that we can come into the presence of the Father through any other means than the Son. So just a thought on a review here. Salvation only comes through those who believe in Christ. Just a little sidebar here. Sometimes we, the sin, you know, Jesus was sinless while during his time on earth, and some wonder, well, could he have yielded to sin? I mean, after all, he's God in human flesh. Could he have yielded to sin? Uh, some would say, no, he just had the will, or yes, he had, but he had the willpower not to, to, to yield to sin. I would say that when Jesus walked on this earth, in spite of the huge temptation that he had, particularly when he was out in the wilderness for those 40 days and 40 nights, but Jesus could not have sinned. Uh, Simply, his his human nature could be tempted, but his divine nature would never allow him to choose to sin. We call this the impeccability of Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's move on to the second point. Salvation is to eternal life. Now, if we continue in John, and we will, we'll look at some of the aspects of eternal life later in this book. But uh, I mention it now simply because it's the the eternal life aspect of Christianity that is often de-emphasized in our churches today, and I believe to our detriment. Uh, The outcry of many is that we want a faith that is valuable here and now, that will help us uh, get sound marriages and raise good kids and form positive relationships. We want a faith that will help us deal in a good way with our loneliness and take away our fits of, of anger and help us to overcome discouragement. And certainly, those are important issues, and they are effectively addressed in other parts of the Bible and all different kinds of literature. But if the here and now is the sole focus of our own concentration, then we rip both the past and the the future right out of the Christian faith, and we simply float along in the existential present. You see, what happened in biblical times, if we were just living here and now, is simply relevant only if it helps us now. Uh, Future eternity with Christ is a blurry theological detail unless we're convinced that he's going to come this year. And so what happens if we get so saturated and so focused only on this life right now we factor out all of the anticipation of our eternal future and put all of our energy and effort into simply living life under the sun. And we have to live life now. We understand that. And we live life 
And we learn to live life through the principles of God, but we need to understand that we need to keep the focus ultimately on that which is eternal. The Bible says, man, you know, you, you hurt sometimes because that's the way life is on earth. And the reason you're hurt is because you're human beings and we're all flawed. But here's the point. The pain and the sorrow uh, that we experience here on earth will be mitigated and even transformed by our view from the end. And all you need to do to verify this is to go through a, the maternity ward of a large hospital. You, you, you see all of these young women are here, all of these young women in labor, and they're just swollen in that abdominal area the size of a beach ball. And they're in great pain as they're... I, I, I don't know about this personally, <laughs> But I saw four sons come into the world here, and those moms are in great pain, but there's no despair. Why is there no despair? It's because the mom is looking at the end point uh, where, uh, where the baby, and when the baby comes, the, the process of, of the pain in the coming of that child is put away. It's not dealt with because of the joy of the child itself. So amid uh, the mess of our lives, amid the joy and the sorrow, is a vein of pure gold. And sometimes it surfaces, sometimes it lies buried. But when that furious burning is over, and we look at all of that shining gold that is left. We think, oh my goodness, God, you were here with me the entire time. And many times I didn't feel it, I didn't notice, but you were there. So let's review. Salvation comes to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And that salvation that comes to us is unto eternal life. Now there's a negative part, and I want to comment on that as well. And that is on judgment. And the first point of that is that judgment is for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Now, again, let's read in unison. Shall we do that? Beginning in verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, we normally associate judgment with anger, and God certainly judges, and God certainly gets angry, but it's not a sinful anger, and it's certainly not a sinful judgment. Uh, the problem comes when we feel that God's anger is like our anger. You know, when I get angry, I can become extremely embarrassed when it's all over. I mean, the curtain has blown off, 
and the, the decay of my fallen nature is laid bare. And my self-absorption, my image consciousness is there for everyone to see. And then one of my kids will say, now, Dad, we know why Jesus had to die for you, because you're a flawed and sinful man. And I understand it, and they're right. But God's anger is not like our anger. You know, the anger of God is his settled opposition toward evil. He came to deal with it and ultimately eradicate it. Now, think about this. Because of the holiness, of, because of his holiness, God cannot have a blind tolerance of evil. If God is good and he doesn't react toward evil, then do we need to do a little bit of rethinking about our understanding of that which is good. Now, a couple of things that we can say about God's judgment of evil. First, God's judgment of evil is according to truth. Verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and that men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Now, the only way we can call some behavior evil is if that behavior is measured against that which is good. The Bible contains moral absolutes that are deemed to be good for all people of all times. And these moral absolutes become something of the straight edge by which we measure life. Right from wrong, good from bad, decent from decadent. And God's character is that standard. Why do we say telling the truth is right, lying is wrong? Because God is a God of truth. Why do we say that just, justice is right and injustice is wrong? Because God is just. Why do we say that God is loving and hating is wrong? Because God is love. Now the reason God is a God of judgment is because he is a God of truth. And if we eliminate God, we lose our standard of truth. We'd be forced to drift all along into moral relativism. You see, if God did not exist, then we would be, pro we would be just products of evolution. You know, the highest form, if you please. The most sophisticated animals. Uh, that's what we would be. Now, if that's the case then we really have no basis. If we're nothing but the products of evolution and our sophisticated animals, we have no basis for condemning the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Husseins of this world because there's no moral oughtness in the animal kingdom. You look at the animal kingdom and the strong are always preying on the weak. But God has given us a book that contains moral absolutes that we call the Bible. And the truth is, is that we can't live any kind of a, sinful, uh, a civil life without those absolutes. Now, for instance, when an atheist, say an atheist uh, would contend that we're just a collection of molecules, just a bag of, of chemicals, and then that atheist insists 
that people be treated with dignity, and then he becomes enraged when people are not treated with dignity, that atheist is taking biblical doctrine into that system. He's smuggling it into his own atheistic system. See, atheism cannot survive in life. It logically implodes within when you talk about the dignity of a human being. So when we talk about God's judgment, it's a God of truth. And then the second one part is this. God's judgment is just. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The Bible says that if you love the light, and the light would be a synonym for God, If you love the light, your character will be royal. Your heart will be softer. Your knowledge will be deeper. And your vision will be more penetrating. But if you say, you know, I don't believe the message of the Bible. I want to control my own life. God, get out of my way. I'm not interested in you. Let me go. Now, if that's the case, then we need to understand the the ultimate judgment of God is simply letting you go. You know, hell in its purest form is complete separation from God. And all of the outcropping of that complete separation is the destruction of the beauty of your own humanity. In other words, if you experience complete separation from God in hell, then the beauty of your humanity is taken away. You see, on earth, people who reject God can be some of the nicest people we know. Uh, They're loving, they're good citizens, they uh, make the community a better place to live, they're honest to the core, just absolutely wonderful people, salt of the earth, they make our communities better and so forth, but they just don't believe in God. And so they're only partially separated from them. They still carry his image. But hell, in its purest form, is complete separation from God. And the outcropping of that is the final destruction of the beauty of our own humanity. Again, people on earth that reject Christ are only partially separated from God they still carry the beauty of his image. But on earth, all people, and on earth, all people are, are capable of doing great good, whether they believe in God or not. And we all know that. Wonderful people who reject God. But in hell, the separation will be complete. What happens there is that everything good about an individual here on earth Uh, is purged from the being. And the only thing that's left in eternity is all the bad stuff. Eternal hell is all the bad stuff. Maybe you've heard somebody flippantly say, well, I may be going to hell, but at least I'll be in good company. Uh, Hell is not like that. In hell, the image of God in you is completely removed, and that means that your character will explode in ugliness. And there'll be plenty of people around you, but there will be no capacity for communion 
All it is is eternal aloneness. Now, George MacDonald put this well. He said this, Every person must come to the point in life where they say, Thy will be done, I am not my own, or they will come to the point where God will say, Thy will be done, you are your own. So people who enter into eternal damnation, eternal hell, get in full measure what they've demanded their entire time on earth, and that is complete separation from God and all of the ramifications that go with it. God is simply giving people what they've demanded during their entire lives on earth, and is there anything unjust about that? And then C.S. Lewis says it well as well. In the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are we asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has already done so at Calvary. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, Alas, I'm afraid he does. that's what he does. Now just let me land the plane here and conclude a little bit here. God saves people because he loves people. God judges because he loves truth. And both salvation and judgment, love and truth meet right at the cross of Jesus Christ. As Matthew 10, Jesus said, Do not fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can cast the body and soul into hell. And he was talking to his disciples, and he knew every one of them was going to suffer a horrific death here on earth. They were going to be eaten by wild beasts or have limbs torn from their body while they were still alive or... or buried alive, all kinds of things. And Jesus says, that stuff, everything that's going to happen to you, he's drawing an analogy here, is a picnic at the South Lagoon here in Woodbridge compared to what hell is going to be like. And he was talking to his disciples. Anyway, the Bible is clear. Uh, if the debt for our sin is not paid, then we're going to be judged. And the Bible also implies that our debt is so great that eternity in hell could never work it off. Uh, that's, if, if we could work it off in hell, then what eventually we would get out, but we can't work it off. And in some forms of Catholicism, that's been a, a basis for uh, the doctrine of purgatory. But nevertheless, uh, you know, hell will never be able to pay off our debt to God. And the justice of the Father demanded an atonement be made for our sin. But he knew that we could never make that atonement, so he just provided it himself. And it was there at the cross that his judgment collided with his love. And he judged the Son so that he could pour out his redemptive love on you and on me. And those who have made a life out of escaping God here on earth uh, must understand 
that the world in which they live is a suburb of hell. Now, those of us who know Christ and who love Christ, uh, we live, if you, this world for us is a suburb of heaven. Now, eventually, everybody needs to leave the suburb and go downtown. And the question is simply this. Which part of downtown are you going to go? Because ultimately, Christ is coming again. It's a blessing to us. We see the issues of this world, and we say, my goodness, I can't wait, because it's going to be so infinitely beyond what we could possibly imagine. And yet at the same time, just hearing Trey talk today and other people and the, the things going on at, uh, you know, Angel Stadium and what, what, what happened there last week, all of these wonderful things. It's just God working together to draw people in to the person of Jesus Christ so that they go to glory. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for John the writer and for speaking so plainly to us, so practically to us, and we think about where we are in this world and what we're going through and some of the ups and the downs and all of the negative things we encounter, dealing with our own depravity and all kinds of negative stuff. And yet, Father, uh, there's just this wonderful kernel that's growing into a wonderful tree of life in our own lives, and it's all because of the grace that you give us. And may we leave today uh, knowing that you're just and that you do judge because you, you can't forgive something that isn't paid for. And yet, Father, our job as a church is to continue to let our light shine so that others might be able to see what you've done, what you're capable of doing, and let the Spirit of God be drawing them into your family. We pray that you'll keep us alert, keep us friendly, keep us uh, uh, grounded in you, and at the same time, wonderfully friendly to, to those that need you, Father. And may our lives beam the glory of God. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to pose a question to you all before we sing our last song. Who's the love of God for? Does it, does it exclude tax collectors? Does it exclude criminals? Does it exclude this group of people or that group of people? And the answer to that, of course, is, is no. God's love is for everyone. It's even for that, that one guy on stage that dropped his paper during the middle of service, but <laughs> all jokes aside, the love of God, I think, is, is so amazing because it doesn't stop at anything to get to us. Um, he, he removes walls. He removes any obstacles. He, even in the darkest of times, we can see his love there. And I think this song just perfectly outlines what his love is for. You okay there? Uh, let's give Jeremy like 10 seconds to, to fix himself up.
You good? All right, I, I think I have to help him. <laughs> 